you're only really approaching life through fear or through love. That's, you know, every decision you make is either based on fear or based on love. It's mm. kind of both and it can't coexist. So I agree with that. Disconnected person is just coming at it from fear all the time. But what's that fear of? You've got to get to the, the, the root of that because it's, it's usually not what you think it is. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Melbourne Reconnect, our first podcast. Um, we're here in the Beyond Rest chill-out space. I'm Paul Medhurst. And my co-host is Andy Nugent. I'm Andy Nugent. The manager of the Collingwood Centre. How's it going, Andy? It's going really well, Paul. And our first guest, Asher Packman. Thanks for being with us. Hey, it's a pleasure to be here. Andy, you had a bit of interaction with Asher at the um, the breathing... We had a Wim Hof bonanza here at Collingwood a, uh, a couple of weeks ago. So that's when I um, first met Asher which was plenty of fun. I'm sure we'll talk about a bit of Wim Hof um, a little bit later. But Asher is, um, first of all, friend of the centre. Yes, um, indeed. Second of all, president of Meditation Australia, um, as well as a host of other things, uh, qualified mindset coach and meditation guide, certified heart math and Wim Hof method instructor, and the creator of Fifth Direction. So, um, Asher, I guess I wanted to kick it off. What's heart math? Heart math. Are we going to start there? All right. That's fine. Do we um, start with heart math? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Heart math. Um, the heart math Institute was started in the nineties, um, in Chicago, I believe as a, basically a research center looking at the heart, you know? Um, and they uncovered some pretty miraculous things about the heart, you know, much more than just a machine that pumps blood around our body, you know? Um, so after some of those, some of those findings started to come out, they created a bit of a consumer facing part of their business to give people tools and techniques to, uh, around meditation and other types of, um, uh, exercises to kind of get them into their heart a little bit more. So learning how to uh, live a more heart conscious life, if you will, because I think one of the biggest journeys that we all have to make in, in, in the contemporary world we live in is the eight inch journey from our head to our heart. You know, I think a lot of us have, have kind of lost touch and we're kind of living, um, our lives all up in our heads. And that's not really where we should be living our lives from. Um, I guess if you asked our indigenous ancestors back in the day where they perceived the world from, they'd point to their chest. I think if you asked a banker in Burke street, he'd point at his head. For sure. And you're, I guess, um, investigation of that started in a pretty dramatic way from yeah. what we were, yeah. well, or did it? Was it something in your early life that you were, was there a strong connection there that got kind of closed over a little bit or was it something that sort of came to you more later in life? Yeah, um, yeah, definitely later in life. Um, I mean, it was there, sort of, maybe mum was very that way, but, um, dad was a, was a corporate guy, um, and kind of, you know, pretty focused on business and everything like that. But for me, you know, I was living the corporate life too. I was, um, we were talking before I was working for AOL Time Warner. I was traveling around the world and very much focused on, on that kind of a, a lifestyle. You know, it was all about the next promotion, um, pay rise, you know, um, everything else, all the material stuff. Um, and then had a lot of life experiences come very quickly, which we've talked about and I'm sure we'll talk about again. Um, 
this evening, but as a result of that, my, my kind of pathway to finding out about myself, my own true nature and, and to healing um, actually started with heart math. So that was kind of one of the, the early stops on the journey. So it's been with me um, since I began this journey. Uh, it's, it's, but to me, it's central to everything. I mean, I don't know. You guys could even talk about floating here. Uh, to me, it's a reconnection back to the heart. Cool. So uh, and I think anything you look at, the, the thread of truth that runs through it all is that it's all about the heart and it's all about love. Beautiful. So for you, when did that sort of journey begin in earnest in the sense of the trajectory that you're on now? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it probably really kicked off back in beginning of 2011 when I got diagnosed with a blood cancer. Um, that was There was a series of events leading up to that, but that was kind of the, the kicker because I actually physically couldn't work anymore um, where everything just kind of came to a, um, a grinding halt. Um, there's probably a bit of a backstory there and that I've, I have suffered from anxiety and depression for almost all my life. And, um, so that's kind of been a little dark passenger on my shoulder, you know? Um, but I kind of just managed that and I was always kind of a very high functioning, um, person with anxiety and depression. So that would have been very much hidden to, to most people, but what was going on behind the scenes for me was pretty dramatic. Um, so when that cancer hit, it was, it was kind of, yeah, the end of, the end of um, that kind of way of living, I had to like face a lot of things. And um, I did hit the wall, actually. I ended up at the Melbourne Clinic for a couple of weeks. So it literally was um, a train wreck. <laughs> yeah. and, um, and for me, part of my journey back was through meditation and through heart math and, and other techniques. Awesome. Yeah. Um, before we get into the sort of nuts and bolts of how that sort of works. Mm. Um, you, men- you mentioned something about anxiety yep. and actually mentioned, oh, I read it in one of your talks um, that you said, I have an an- anxious disposition. It runs in the family. Mm. So for other people who might be able to relate to that, anxiety and, and how that works in their surroundings, how did that look in your upbringing? Like who displayed it? Was it was it mum and dad? Was it brother, sister? Was it... I think... To a degree, you know, um, all of us. Mum was kind of quite neurotic and had a lot of anxiety, um, particularly around the, the kids. She was very protective. Um, Dad it came out in different ways, but there's certainly some stuff going on there. Um, and I, I felt it. I felt. I felt it certainly from early teenager. Just that you know things weren't quite right with with me. Um, yeah, you know. Um, I was having suicidal thoughts when I was 15, yeah. I remember um, writing out the lyrics to Pink Floyd's Comfortably Numb one night at about two in the morning before school and like, and putting it up on the fridge and I, it was just this cry out for help, right? But, you know, the way it was in my day back in the 80s, you know, that stuff had to be kind of swept under the rugs. Like you couldn't be seen to have a child with anxiety and depression. So um, by the time I got up for breakfast, that had been removed from the fridge and and put in the bin and no one even asked me about it. Well, so yeah, interesting. And how did you manage to, how did that manifest itself in your adult life? Was it, was it always there, but just something that you coped with? Did you kind of, were you so busy or so invested in what you were doing that it kind of didn't show? Like, how did you, yeah, it'd be interesting. Long yeah. gap between that 15 and when you finally did 
yeah. come down with a physical symptom of it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, and there's many people out there that will resonate with this. It's You can function very, very effectively in the world um, with that going on in the background and no one would really know. Yeah. Um, it does pop out from time to time, you know, with kind of um, difficulties in relationships and things like that. But day to day, you know, I was, you know, everything was fine and I was, I was on a very... Um, uh, you know, on a great trajectory, you know, corporately and, and, you know, I was always getting along with people. I mean, I spent most of my corporate career in, in PR and communication, so I'm definitely good at connecting with people. So, yeah. um, yeah, you know, I, do you feel as though that kind of anxiety and depression, that driver is something that's kind of prominent with the high flying corporate, you know, like that could, could be humming along in the background with, a lot of, uh, you know, people who are in your position? Oh, potentially. And it's been really interesting for me now because now as a, as, as a mindset coach and, and working with people one-on-one, yeah, sure, you know, I'm meeting people all the time um, who function extremely effectively in the world, but they've got a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. Um, so I'd say, yeah, you know, I meet people that were similar to me all the time. And maybe that's why I can be effective as a coach because I can sit across the table from them and, you know, whilst I'm not in their shoes, I'm, I'm in the ballpark. For sure. Mm. So moving into, into 2011 when, um, when the blood cancer surfaced, um, can you sort of take us from that point forward in terms of how you, how you, how you dealt with it and how what's become your path now kind of unfold, unfolded for you? Yeah. Um, well, I didn't deal with it very well in the beginning. Um, you know, I kind of, I couldn't make sense of it, you know, and I think that was, interestingly, it was kind of a, I dealt with it in the same way that, um, that I've been dealing with lots of stuff in my life, i.e. not facing it. So, um, there was a bit of extracurricular activity going on there with alcohol and other sorts of things to kind of numb it. But, you know, the interesting thing was in the corporate world, the way I was living, um, you know, working for able. Time Warner and, 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 you know, kind of an entertainment business and all that sort of stuff. It was, it was kind of normal to be, you know, out at night and, and being sociable. I mean, not, not, not to ridiculous extents, but to the point where, you know, I could use it as kind of a, a, a as a device to help me stay, um, afloat, if that makes sense. Yeah. Mm, for sure. Um, so, you know, it's interesting. Even when I got diagnosed with the cancer, I kind of went, went to that first. Um, which seems really ironic given that it's a health crisis and it's probably the last thing that you'd want to do. But that, that sort of shows you where your mind is. Mm, for sure. That's like... That's the go-to. Yeah, it's the go-to. And it's like, yeah, I've got a good idea. I'll just drink even more. Um, so that didn't sort of, you know, I realised that that was not a long-term solution. But then stopping that kind of led to ending up in the Melbourne Clinic for a couple of weeks. But, you know, coming out of there... Um, it was more about just looking, looking inside myself. And it was probably the first time in my life where I actually turned the compass around and looked this way and I'm pointing into my chest. And, and, I, and to some degree, that's why the business is called The Fifth Direction because I feel like we spend all our lives, you know, with, with, our, with our view cast outwards, you know, north, south, east and west and what's out there for me, you know, and that's where life is because that's what I'm seeing through my eyes. But really, the direction that all of us need to take at some point is the fifth direction, which is the internal direction. 
so for me, I was kind of pushed there. And I think a lot of people that I've um, spoken to, you do have to be pushed there. Like you need like a trigger. Mm. Someone dies or you have a health crisis or you're, you're bankrupt or your wife leaves or something happens and you're forced to actually look inside. Um, and so for me, that was definitely the case. And um, when I did look inside, I, I, you know, saw some things that I needed to fix. And the solution for doing that was the first thing was meditation. Um, and in, in looking into different meditation practices, looked at, you know, I was, I was quite heavily into um, Tibetan Buddhism for a while. But then the heart math stuff kind of, it seemed like a, it just it fitted quite well. Um, so I started doing that. Um, then I found myself on the path to getting qualified as a heart math coach. Um, what was the, when you were like, all right, meditation seems to be the way I need to go here. Yep. What was the first time you sat down like um, dog's breakfast? Well, I'd actually, it wasn't like the first time, I, you know, it's, okay. it's something that I've been doing. Yeah. You know, I, I guess mum was there a bit. She, um, particularly towards um, the end phase of her cancer, she was really heavily into Kundalini. Okay. And so uh, I was... It wasn't like completely foreign for No, exactly. So she'd she'd been doing the the chanting and all the kind of meditative, contemplative parts of of Kundalini yoga. So, um, and even before then, like I lived in in Byron Bay for, you know, lots, lots of years um, on and off um, because mum and dad had a a place there from when I was really young. So... Plenty of breath work. Yeah, lots of that sort of stuff going on. So it wasn't like any of this stuff was actually new to me. It was just that I I was doing it... Um, coming from a different place. Um, so the first time I sat down is probably hard to say, but, but the first experiences I had with meditation, like post-cancer and stuff, and I was actually doing it for, um, I guess, more of a, with more of conviction. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, oh, man, it was a combination of things. It was, I, you know, I'd had, it's hard to say good or bad. I don't know about you guys, but... It just um, is. It just, it, just, it, just, it just was, yeah. And... Um, continues to be and so i realized i had had, had this, this journey inwards or this journey home was was so overdue that's probably was the main thing yeah and it was like oh my god it was like yeah like some self-love coming up which is probably something that i'd never done i just you know as guys typically tend to do to beat the shit out of yourself for sure the inner critic just going 100 miles an hour so to be able to actually go beyond that was pretty cool awesome mm. and do you have like a core practice that you do that you just mo- that you connect most to when you do meditation or do you just do what you feel drawn to at the time right now or? yeah right now um it, it differs like differs. i'll go through periods like when i first started we'll, we'll talk about the wim hof stuff in, in a minute i'm sure but when i started doing the um when i got in, in touch with wim and went through that process i was i was all about the the Wim Hof method and doing my breathing, but I was, I was kind of, I was, I changed it to a way that I was extending the breath hold parts. Um, and, and using that as like at at the end, just doing a big meditation or something like that. So I was kind of playing with it a little bit to kind of personalize it. The funky bit. Yeah. That's the funky bit. The funky bit. Yeah. So, um, it's changed over time. Um, yeah, but it's always there in some way, shape or form. Yeah. Will you guys have a chat about the Wim Hof? I think that was one of the first stops. That was one of the real first methodologies that you that you connected to on the. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, that that was yeah a while ago now. But um, so, I mean, the Wim story is 
my story of connecting with that is, is really similar to a lot of people's. Um, like, you know, like many of us, I was kind of exploring everything. Like I was doing lots of reading and pulling at lots of different um, strings to see, see what happened. And Wim had been this person that kept popping up time and time again. You sort of read an article about him, but I couldn't quite see how it fitted to my journey. Like I had this idea that a lot of people had back in the days that he was just like he had all these world records for cold exposure and I was just thinking he's this crazy Dutch guy and it doesn't really fit in with my story. Um, but then one night I I was, for some reason, I, I, I was watching that Vice documentary on him. If you, I don't mm-hmm. know, have you seen that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So um, and I was just like, it does fit to my story. That was my first kind of realisation. Like um, this is actually something I, I can see now why it's been tapping me on the shoulder for a while. So I actually, when that finished, um, I actually Googled the, the how to do the, the breathing and I sat down and I did it and it was just like, this is awesome. <laughs> so from there I um, I did the course and, and then had a chance to meet Wim and it just, again, kind of just unrolled uh, rolled out from there, did the did the, um, the instructor course, which kind of just, it was unbelievable. Like it was, it, it was like the path of least resistance. Like it just, it just worked. Like all the dates seemed to fit in and the destination. It was really quite strange. So I ended up um, becoming an instructor, which has been really cool, particularly with people with, um, yeah, depression, anxiety or, or any other forms of a lot of autoimmune people come to see me. And actually watching things change for them, it kind of, it's amazing. It's amazing. It's just, you know. Can we talk a little bit about the, I remember when you held the night here, yep. we spoke a little bit about um, Wim's story and, the effects that the method has on bipolar? Well, yeah, that's ish. still... Yeah, I mean, look, there's... <coughs> Bipolar-ish? There's, yeah, well, look, there's there's some... I don't even think the the results have been published yet. Well, there's, there's mental illness. Yeah, yeah, well, no, but there's been some research specifically on bipolar. Right. Um, and I know that the, the, the results have been quite interesting, positive, but it's probably too early to kind of say yet. But okay. if we're talking about um, depression and anxiety in general, yeah. well, I mean, the idea of the Wim Hof method is that it's a great way of um, reducing inflammation in the body. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the basic premise is, without getting into too much details, that the root of just about all diseases is inflammation, particularly things like autoimmune cancer and depression and anxiety we're learning because it's inflammation in the brain, um, it seems. Um, right. So you can see you know, at a very basic level, the mechanics of why, of why it potentially could work. But, you know, if the research starts to back that up, well, then that's terrific. But I think it's, you know, very, very early days for me to start making broad Sounds statements. a little bit like floating. Well, I don't know. Balance. You'd have to tell me. In terms of like the white paper stuff coming out? Yeah. I think um, floating's been in kind of the same breath, I guess. Yeah. Like everyone knows... Everyone that floats knows that it reduces that kind of stuff, but it's only now in the last few years that it started to, you know, um, there's been some studies and that yeah. kind of stuff done to give it a little bit more of a um, tick of approval, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's, I find, I don't know about you, I'd love to hear your guys' opinion on this, but to me it's like things like the Wim Hof Method and meditation and floating, It, it for some people in in where we are now when it comes to treating disease, it almost seems like it's too easy or too good to be true or something. Because, mm. like, you know, with Wim, we're talking about um, breath and, and cold water. And, and it's the same with floating, right? Mm. Um, it almost seems like that couldn't possibly 
be so effective, you know. And I mean, it's interesting. I've had conversations with people who have cancer and are on heavy drugs, and they won't try it, but they're happy to put all these this toxic stuff chemicals in, in their body, which is essentially, who knows, right? I mean, but yeah, because it almost seems like it can't possibly work because it's too easy. You know? Yeah, it's not a drug. Yeah, it's, yeah and, and it's got no side effects. And it's got like a. Yeah, whereas for me, I think you just got to get to that point where, you know, try and see because there's no harm, right? You know, the first time I floated here, I felt great. I'll do it again. A lot. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so um, we'll see what happens. You know, if my blood count starts to change as a result of floating, well, awesome. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I'll take that every day of the week. <laughs> As long as it's not getting worse, mate, we're happy to have it. Well, exactly. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's going to be, my my sense is there's going to be a bit of a a renaissance of just the sacredness of the human being and the inbuilt capacity to heal that's going to happen over the next, in our generation. Oh, Um, look, I really hope so. I mean, I think you're right. I think we're starting to see it now. But even um, understanding how powerful our connection to nature is, which, you know, in a sense floating and like it's all in the same ballpark right sure. and i think that we've become so disconnected to nature um you know now is the time and and it's actually interesting because you start to see the workshops and the and the the types of things which are on offer now for for, for humans it's all about rewilding you know and we've all heard these new terms coming grounding and grounding and, and you know in japan um you know forest bathing is really huge and um yeah Exactly, grounding and, and people starting to talk about, you know, Schumann resonance and all these, these great things. And it's like, that's really cool because that in itself has got such massive um, healing potential. So if we, it could be the way forward, you know. And even we were talking earlier about plant medicine. Like it is, it is starting to... to to Cross over. Cross over and, and, and you're sort of hearing about it a lot more. Like even the... Um, cannabis revolution with you know all the states in america and even in victoria here it's all great and it's mm. all part of what we're talking about here for sure it's all totally in the same ballpark yeah yeah if it works well yeah if it, wor- but- if it works and you're not hurting anyone else for sure man i think it's even more more fundamental than that I think yeah it's it's the way forward for sure yeah. yeah so i think what we're trying to do with this podcast is give people a sense of what reconnection is in whatever way that looks in their life, whether it's reconnecting to family, to their life purpose, to a passion, because I think a lot of us are born with a spark early. I think we all are born with a spark early, but we don't necessarily know how to take that spark with us through, Mm. you know, that thread with us through to adult life and actually build our life around that. You know, how do we incorporate or be true to that spark in our work life, in our mm. family life, in our the way that we live our life. It seems to get kind of so closed over yeah, at I certain points. I couldn't agree more. I um, couldn't agree more. So I think that's the kind of core message of, of reconnection. Um, you'd consider yourself connected? Oh, well, I think it's a life journey. Yeah. But I'm, I'm on the path. But it's really interesting listening to you talk like that because, you know, family, passion, purpose, the spark – you know, to me, you know, it goes back to where we very first started. You know, I'd ask you guys, Paul, Andy, where would you point to in your body for the spark? Right. We're all pointing at our hearts. And to me, it comes back to the very first thing that we spoke about here. It's, it's, it, the reconnection is a reconnection with heart. 
Because if we can do that and start living a heart-centered life as opposed to a head-centered life, all the things we've talked about so far start to make sense. Hmm. So that's where our passion is. It's where our purpose is. It's where our family, all the, all the things that we talked about comes from heart. We've just got to get our heads out of the way. You know, you hear people talking about on podcasts, just get out of your own way. Hmm. They're saying get your head out of your own way hmm. and, and let your heart come forth. What does disconnection look like? Like how, what is it, how does that work in you? Like what's being disconnected? How does that feel to you? How does life look when you're disconnected? And the same with yourself, Asher, like what, what is that, how does that work in us? I, I feel like for me personally, when I'm disconnected, life is going a lot faster. Like I feel like the more I reconnect, the more things slow down, for, like in a positive way. Um, like I was just thinking the other day, I was like, since, you know, you go on the path of reconnection or sorry, since I've been on the path of reconnection, I feel like things have just slowed down a little bit. So whenever I feel a little bit disconnected, I kind of feel like the sands, you know, falling through my fingers a little bit. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, whereas like, when I'm feeling a little bit more connected, it might be a little more syrupy or like muddy and you can really like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of experience the intricacies of life, you know, when you're a little more connected, but yeah, reconnection for me is just, it's going fast. It slips a little bit. Mm. Yeah. I'd, I'd build on that. I'd agree with all that for sure. I mean, for me, Disconnection, it's, you're almost on remote control, right? You know, you, you, you get up in the morning and you just switch on your programming and you just go off and, and, and behave the way you've behaved every other day. And, and you end up kind of just reacting to life, you know. It's like X experience happens and you react in right or Y way because you always have, like someone cuts you off in traffic and you stick your finger up at them and you're just, you're just going about your day in a completely unconscious fashion. Mm. To me, that's disconnected to life. Um, and it's the way we, most of us run our lives. And in the end, the years go by and you've lived your whole life that way, right? Because we have this unconscious programming, which is who we think we are. And it doesn't, it just does what it does. And, you know, if you behave that way, we know that like 80%, 80% of our thoughts are kind of negative in nature. At least they're moving us away from our, um, best version of ourselves. So if you allow that, um, programming to be the way you run your life, well, you know, it's not going to serve you best. But if you start to take control of it and own that through meditation or whatever and start to reconnect, you actually learn to slow down. So that's why it's interesting to listen to what you just said, Andy, because mm. things do start to slow down. So the next time that driver cuts you off in traffic, you, you have that... Wave and not flip well, you just have that moment when you can not just react unconsciously, but you can you actually... Buffer. Yeah, you can actually respond. You, you, like you build a bit of space into things happening to you and how you respond to them as opposed to react mm. and that's that's a connected person so you, you know you have that moment where you're not just sticking your finger up you're actually saying well what's going to serve me best here i'm just going to let that one slide yeah just yeah. keep on driving yeah and the next step in that process is when you bring the heart consciousness into it so rather the first step is like i'm not going to bother with that the second step is compassion for that person in the sense that hey if we stopped our cars and we got out and we had a chat, I'd probably find that that person's hopes and dreams and everything else about them is so unbelievably staggeringly similar to mine 
that I'd probably give them a hug rather than stick the finger up at them, wish them all the best. For sure. And have a proper conversation which might help both of us. Then that is starting to get towards full connection. Definitely. What about you, P? Um, Disconnection, I think, for me, is almost synonymous with a greater level of fear. You just it's sort of it just sort of clouds the way you look or the way you look at things. Things become a little bit more. Not that I'm degrading being analytical or using your conscious mind. I think they're awesome, but I think they just come to the forefront and completely blot out a deeper trust that kind of understands that things are as they should be. You yeah. know, maybe not necessarily right now, but when I step back or in a week's time, I'll see that that served me in some way. Yeah. And for me, I think disconnection is losing that perspective. You know what I mean? Like you just, um, there's just a greater level of, of fear. Man, I, I love that. I think that's really accurate, well, at least the way I see things. Because, you know, you're only really approaching life through fear or through love. That's, you know, every decision you make is either based on fear or based on love. Like mm. Kind of both and it can't coexist. So I agree with that. Disconnected persons just coming at it from fear all the time. But what's that fear of? You've got to get to the, the, the root of that because it's, it's usually not what you think it is. Mm. Um, but also understanding that if you turn into that fear, it's vapor. It just goes away. Um, and if you do that with a, in a heart-conscious way, a connected way, it really does disappear. I really like that, what you just said there. And I think what you were saying before, I'm not too sure if we talked about it on the podcast, but you talked about self-love. Yeah. And I think it's... For me, it's a really important part of this conversation because when when I am feeling disconnected and a bit fearful and a bit anxious about, you know, key events that are going on in my life, you can kind of try and flick the switch too quickly, you know, and one, you know, that you start to think because you have felt connected before and you know what the effortlessness of being connected from your heart feels like, you know, you can really start being a little harsh on yourself or wondering how you kind of lost it or how did you slip back to this lack of clarity. So I think what part for me, self-love or self-love plays a huge part in, in the process of just allowing yourself to float back yeah. to connection because I, I've learned that there's no point berating yourself and no. there's, there's, there's every the best way to deal with it is just to allow the fact that I'm not seeing things clearly at the moment. I'm a bit scared. Okay, I'm okay with that. You know, like don't kind of force it too much. Don't don't overdo it. Um, how do you sort of, how do you guys feel about about what I said there? Yeah, I totally agree. I think you know everyone on this planet is guilty of beating themselves up over you know, how they feel that things should be at that particular time. You know, I think, um, yeah, I've definitely been guilty of that for sure and um, totally agree that it just doesn't serve. Um, That's not to say that, I mean, you almost have to beat yourself up a little bit to kind of realise that that's what you're doing and kind of be like, okay, like maybe I could turn this around a little bit. Um, But, yeah, I think the self-love thing, like that's, you know, as you said before, Asher, it's either fear or love. And I guess the, um, the beating yourself up gets, you know, that fits in with the fear thing. 
you yeah, know, showing sure. a bit of self-love, it's going to get you back to that kind of connected space that you used to, but mm. yeah. No, I agree. Um, for sure. I mean, I think it all starts with, with that, you know, I think, um, the inner critic is just so loud, isn't it? And it's just, you know, we're constantly just berating ourselves. I often joke with people. It's like if somebody comes at you and, and starts abusing you, like you, you could almost laugh sometimes and say, you know, you could say anything to me in terms of putting me down. It's not even close to how much I put myself down in my own head. Mm. So it's like it's just not going to touch the sides because I, I talk to myself really so much good worse that. than that, yeah. right? So no one's ever going to put you down as much as you put yourself down. So I think, you know, you've got to learn to stop doing that. Um, and, and like you said, Andy, you know, it, it's just about making friends with that voice mm. and, and managing because, you know, you can't shut that off. It's, you know, the default mode network of the brain is, is, is we designed that way. Mm. So it's this idea of like hearing that voice and, and not taking it as fact. Yeah. Because you know there's, I mean? there's always going to be stuff that will disconnect you. Yeah. No matter how connected you are. Even if you can reframe it a little bit, like, you know, when the voice comes into Paul's head and says, I'm an asshole, like instead of just, we just take that on as facts and Paul walks around for the rest of the day believing he's an asshole because his, 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 his brain's told him that, right? Mm. But even if you reframed a little bit to say, I acted like an asshole, even that takes an enormous amount of the sting out of it. Mm. Even that little slight reframe there. I'm not an asshole. Yeah. I'm not. I have one. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. Yeah, I, I can behave like that sometimes. Mm. <laughs> I'm not my asshole. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So anyway, yeah. Asher, I'm curious. First float. My what first float. Like? Yeah. Um, do you want to know the truth? Yeah. Sucked. No, I'm six foot seven. I, I just kept hitting the sides. Okay. <laughs> that is that 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 is that is the truth. I absolutely loved it, you know. And but for me, that first time, mm-hmm. I, I took a bit of kind of um, getting used to it. Um, so the second time for me was was awesome. First time was great too, don't get me wrong, but I just had to get used to my size in there mm-hmm. and being a bit maybe awkward with myself, which is actually learning because, again, we're talking about the voice, right? Yeah. So, you know, my inner critic was going, God, you're such a gangly, awkward yeah, six person in here, you know? So that was me actually. I actually, like, started to talk, talk shit to myself yeah. where, rather than just let myself enjoy the experience. That's a great segue. Um, and the other thing I found, which I thought was really cool and I didn't expect is you've got to almost learn how to breathe again for sure. because because everything's lifted. And so for me, I was thinking about the Wim Hof breathing and, and, and you know, how most of us don't breathe correctly. I was, like, I was thinking, this is a really good tool mm. because when everything's lifted and there's no gravity there as such, you actually have to... You've got to work. Work. It's funny. Um, every now and then we'll get someone come in for their first session <clears throat> and they'll make it known that they've that they've got like a, a meditation practice they're an experienced meditator and every now and then they'll come out frustrated after their first time because they'll go into the tank being like okay i know how to get to that spot quickly but as you said being on your back um being submerged in water being like you know enclosed in the pod the whole the breath is a totally different thing so um you know i think we say to everyone that comes in here it doesn't matter like what your um prior experience with like you know meditation or the breath or whatever just like leave that at the door for your first one and and just jump in and and muck around and see how you go so yeah it's kind of cool to hear you know to hear that honesty you know because every now and then we'll get someone who's like yeah it was okay yeah and you're like yeah, yeah your meditation didn't work. isn't that funny though? i'm almost i'm laughing because it's like you know people coming in and going i'm a 
you know, I'm a this and that type of meditator, so everything's going to be fine for me. It's like, well, you're not, <laughs> like, you shouldn't have an ego like that if yeah. you're doing enough meditation. It's like, how can you tell someone who meditates a lot? They'll tell you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's exactly. kind of like weird, isn't it? <laughs> um, so, no, interesting. Mm. Interesting. Very. And the second? Yeah, great, because I sort of had an idea of, you know, what I guess there was a frame of, of reference there, and so um, I was coming in, you know, with a slightly different mindset, but um, and you know, loved it. And after that, it's been great. But I don't know, there's a few of us tall guys. Maybe it takes first time to get used to it. <laughs> yeah, wrap yourself up like a pretzel. Well, it's just it's more about you know. I'm sure you guys, are such experienced floaters, you kind of know how to move your body around. It's probably like first time you go to the moon you know what I mean sure. probably don't know how to operate but after a while it's like second nature yeah yeah that's what I love about it it's, it takes three or four floats to kind of be able to drop the practical stuff like how do I stay centered in the tank and how do I sort of relax a little bit quicker yeah but then from that point every float's unique yeah so I love yeah. that process it's not something you can master but you can definitely get better at the initial bits that kind of let you kind of let go a bit yeah yeah. yeah. So your life now, um, your business, the modalities that you love the most, can you tell us a bit about how you spend your day and, and how how you most enjoy spending your day now? Yeah, look, you know, in terms of um, the stuff that I'm doing on a day-to-day basis, it's it's generally guiding people in, in meditation. I don't like using the word teaching meditations but because I, I sort of have this, I mean, you can get into a whole different, discussion here but but i'm i believe that a lot of particularly with the wim hof method and and heart math he's sort of just getting people to tap into stuff they already know Mm. does that make sense yeah so you know the word teacher sometimes feels a bit strong to me Mm -hmm. because i'm not actually no one's going to learn anything new we're just going to relearn stuff that they've forgotten particularly true with the wim hof stuff i mean you're just basically lighting up parts of the body that haven't been haven't been turned on for a while yeah um, so, so yeah, um, you know, there's Wim Hof stuff, there's the heart mass stuff, there's other styles of meditation. Um, and there's some other workshops which we run through the fifth direction, like Accu meditation, which is super cool, which is like, um, um, a combination of acupuncture and meditation, which is really good fun. Um, and I do a lot of work with men. Um, I've got a real thing around this kind of, uh, the nature of masculinity these days and mm. um, we hear a lot about it in the media um so i've been running a men's circle now weekly at the fifth direction for coming up to well it's moved locations it's been running for about nearly a couple of years and that that's a real passion of mine and it's so amazing to see the transformation in some of the guys that have been coming to this for a while like it's it just yeah really talking about lifting your heart it's it's amazing um we've got such a um great group of guys in there now it's such a strong bond and you know some of these guys arrived at the door pretty busted up you know um whether it was a relationship or health or job or whatever but they were you know pretty low and just to to witness the transformation in some of these guys like learning giving them the tools and and just through the, the circle itself so for me, that's a huge part of it. Um, so I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on on 
masculinity or men's circles or something. Mate, that might be a whole nother podcast. Oh, I've got thoughts on the fact that I think it's brilliant. It's fantastic that guys are getting together to support each other emotionally. Now it seems more than, or certainly more than ever in, from what I've seen in my life, um, it seems more celebrated and more definitely more than accepted, almost celebrated when, when guys will get together and just tell each other how they're feeling, you know, have a cry occasionally. It's just things that I think have been sort of pushed away or made unmanly or whether they've been said or unsaid, there's, it's just been a lot of, lot of repression there um, yeah, yeah. for guys. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I think that, sorry, Paul, just with, you know, there's been some amazing stuff happened with women's movements and, and, and equality and I think those things are so valid and so beautiful too but I think in some ways men have almost, um, yeah, just forgotten that they're part of that too and that we can both have these coexisting movements and celebrate femininity, masculinity, um, together rather than it seems like one rises and the other kind of falls away a bit and then another one makes a bit of a charge. So I think that's where I'd like to – I'd be really happy to see just a, those things coming rising. together. Yeah, coming together. Yeah, I don't think we've ever seen the rise of like true masculinity though. I think when masculinity has risen, it's been a very distorted um, version, mm. like almost like a – um, a boy psychology as opposed to a man psychology. And I think that's what's caused part of the issue here. And so I think that, you know, for the first time, you know, for a long time, it's really, really um, heartening to see uh, like a true masculinity beginning to shine through. So you're right, it is partly about, you know, vulnerability and the ability to talk and stuff like that, but without losing the, mm. the integral parts of what it means to be a man as well. That's so cool. for me, it's like something new that I think is coming through here. And I think that it's building, you know, it really is building. And I think, you know, true masculinity is if we can, if guys can embrace that, that's going to change everything, you know, um, particularly for, for the, for the women and for feminine, you know, for the, for the women's movement, because that's what they're looking for. The, the true masculine, you know, um, and what we're seeing now is, is, you know, what's been, in control for a long time now is this is this distorted version of masculinity. You know, boys don't cry and all that kind of, you know, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think what you said there, like, is really. I mean, for me, how that works in myself, that's really a lot of what I feel my life is about. It's sort of bringing those parts of yourself together. Like, mm. yeah, it's okay to be, and it's great to be sensitive and in touch with things, but it's also good to be strong and, and proactive and, and to have masculine qualities they don't necessarily drop away when the sensitivity comes. No. So I think for myself and how I see that in me is, or, you know, is, is a bringing together of all of the different aspects. Yeah, um, well, the, the difference is just like, you know, I talk about the, the golden warrior, you know, that it's, it's that understanding that that strength, that, that enormous strength, of, of the true masculine actually comes from love, comes from compassion. So sure, there, there's a sensitive side, but you know, it's a man who will still step up and do exactly what needs to be done. You know what I mean? Without hesitation. It, it's it's the warrior, you know. Um, but just coming from always coming from, it's all vectored from love. You know, for sure. But doesn't mean you don't have to stand up and and you know, do the hard stuff sometimes. Mm. 
you know, but I think we've lost, we've lost that, you know, and I think for men these days, um, being sad or, or, or grief or sorrow in, in a man is, is seen as a weakness, right? Mm. So we, we squash it and it ends up coming out as anger and aggression, which is okay in this world, mm. you know, because it's expected that the stereotypical man is angry and aggressive. So we're moving that, that ability to feel sadness and grief into anger and aggression because society says that that's the way a man is. So, you know, think, I don't know, if you think about how your ancestors taught you, I know from my dad and, and those, that was the way. You know, you didn't cry, but it was okay to be angry. But, and I also think being angry is okay too. Healthy anger is okay. It's mm. the unhealthy mm. anger that's not okay. Yeah, the misdirected. Yeah, misdirected. When you're, you know, dehumanizing the other person or at worst being violent and abusive, mm. that's clearly not okay. But anger sure. in and of itself can be okay. If you can be angry at someone and still hold them with absolute love, then sometimes you need to. Mm. But, you know, as long as there's still that love there, you know, so it's done in a healthy way. Does that make sense? Yeah, if it's coming from the right place. Yeah, it's a delicate conversation because it upset people. But I think in essence it's it's there, right? I think it is. I think what makes it really delicate is it's – to really see it in yourself, it's a trial and error thing too. Oh, yeah. You know, like it's, I think there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of stuff that goes on in conversations or in, in books or that I've come across where people are trying to put down certain emotions or let them go before they've fully seen how they work in themselves. Mm. Um, and it leads to a lot of repression mm. and then other emotions that surface because of that. So I find that fascinating what you just said there. It's um, and what I'm you know saying here is that to really see it, it's almost like they need to be acted out in some way so that you can then take that and reflect on it mm. and sit with it and, and think about well, yeah, there was a val- there was a validity in the anger that I was there was there was something there that was valid, mm. but how did it come out? Mm. How did it affect the other person? Mm. You may still love the person that you were angry with. And, and held them dearly while you were being upset, but do they know that, you know, like... Well, they feel it. That's how they know it because, you know, if you're calling them names and, and taking it to a whole other level, it's, it's unhealthy anger. Mm. But, you know, the person at the other end, you know, receives it in a way that's okay, then it's an emotion that will work through you, you know? Mm. Um, and this doesn't mean getting angry every five seconds either, but, you know, you've got to, as you say, you've just got to work with it, Yeah. Yeah, but as soon as it becomes abusive, or you know, you get into the name calling and dehumanising, it's clearly incorrect. It's unhealthy anger. Yeah. yeah. Have you seen some healthy anger come out at the men's fifth direction men's circles? Sure. Awesome. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. See all sorts of things going on there, and I've seen it in myself too, because I spent a large part of my life, you know, mismanaging my anger big time. Mm-hmm. I think you know. I'm probably all of us in this room could yep, attest to that definitely, yeah. for sure. So for me, you know, it's, 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 a, it's an interesting beast to wrestle with, mm. but you know, I'm not going to try to say that I need to completely not have that because we've got to no, feel all, all range of emotions, right? So if I don't deal with it and let it, let it rise when it rises and deal with it properly, it's going to come out of something else, probably worse. Mm. Flipping someone off when you're driving <laughs> or much worse. And we see that the evidence of that is quite clear in society. Mm. 
Mm. Is there anything else in you that uh, that you're wanting to kind of another journey that you want to take with us or something that you oh, feel? Oh man, we'd be here all night. I yeah. love these sorts of conversations. Yeah, so um, awesome. yeah, I don't know. Um, I kind of feel like this will be the first of many, Asha. Cool, man. I'm always always up for, for a chat with you guys. I mean, I said to Andy when we first met, I was like, I really felt a strong connection to your brother. Mm. I really did. Yeah. Like sure. coming in here and, um, and doing and that workshop. And I liked that you thought I was a bit of a nerd on the phone as well. Man, you got it. You were very business-like. hair and shit and you were like, okay. Yeah, it's true. I sort of, we had these, these <laughs> this phone conversation. I was always a very uh, organized person and I thought I'd just, you know, and then, then I was like, oh. He's but, a tall guy that looks like a Yeah, yeah. And we sort of, we, we had this great connection. Not, you know, that, not that there was anything wrong. Like, I thought it was great, right? Yeah. I just, had, oh, man, di- I just sure. had a different picture in my mind, that's all, which was actually quite interesting about yeah. how, how, how you can try to pigeonhole people. And we, I think we tend to do that all the time. It's like the, the, the egoic mind wants to, or the, or the, the default, it wants to try to understand who they're talking to so you kind of almost yeah. put a picture in your mind oh it's one of these type of people you make the story rather than yeah you make a story up yeah. well i'd seen pictures of you so i knew what you'd look like oh, okay but you're shitload taller than i expected <laughs> yeah that takes people by surprise yeah, yeah i reckon that's been an awesome first reconnection podcast i think um whatever way people want to whatever movement they want to make towards reconnecting, however that looks. I think we've talked about a number of ways that we feel that can be done. We think, you know, floating is, is one of many, um, working with you or the therapies that you, that you love meditation. I think it doesn't matter whatever you're drawn to, um, just make a movement towards it. Mm. And I think it's slowing down for a little while. Yeah. Yeah. I think an important thing about that is that you don't know what you don't know. So you don't necessarily know that you're disconnected. Mm. So I think if this conversation sparks a little bit of an interest to have a look and think, well, you know, am I connected? You know, what is what is being connected? How does that feel? You know, mm. can I feel from somewhere other than the way that I feel now? What is this heart connection about? Um, hopefully we've opened up a little bit of a... A channel for people to explore. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and that'd be, again, that's exactly my parting message, Paul, this idea of just, you know, even if it's sitting at home, listen to this, just take a couple of breaths and just kind of drop out of your head for a while and just bring your attention to the centre of your chest. That's all you got to do. Just see how that feels. Nice. Beautiful. Thanks heaps for being here with us. Yeah. Great to be here. Thanks, guys. Go jump in the tubs. Will do. Straight away. (laughs) 